We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Well, please meet me in 1 Samuel, and we'll be in chapter 14 this morning. Men need friends. Men need to be discipled. Women need friends. Women need to be discipled. If you are looking to grow in your relationship with Christ, if you're looking to uh, grow deeper with other people, don't wait to be pursued. Call someone this week and say, hey, I need a friend. Uh, I need to get discipled. And I was wondering if you could help me. And uh, that is a great pathway. It takes some guts, takes some courage, but um, it'll be the best thing you ever do. Uh, so, hey, real quick, we believe that when we open this, this book called the Bible, we believe that God wrote it. And when we do it and we read it, we believe God speaks. We often liken it to heaven uh, itself opening up. We can hear from God when we, when we read this dwell in it, preach it, explain it, listen to it, apply it to our lives, that God uses his word by his spirit and he, and he plants it deep in the heart of his people. And as a result, they're changed. And so um, it's easy to kind of get in a rhythm of, I come to church and I listen to Newman like give a nice talk or something as if I would like hear someone give a presentation at school or, or on, on TV, but this is different. This is a lot different because when we when we open the word and spend time in it, um, our hearts begin to burn for Christ. We begin to yearn for him more. Our, our love and our, our affections are drawn to him and uh, our lives slowly, slowly begin to look differently. Amen. So let's let's uh, wade into these waters of God's word together. So there is a uh, famous baseball game that happened a long time ago in Minnesota uh, between two teams, obviously uh, two minor pro teams. Um, what happened was this. Uh, it was a tie game, went into extra innings. It was the 10th inning, uh, the top of the 10th. Um, the, the first team, um, they got a run. And then they got three outs. The second team was up, and they had to score, obviously, to win it. So the first guy, he was the pitcher, um, hit a nice single. His name was Thielman, last name Thielman, got to first base. Uh, the guy after him, his name was O'Toole, ripped the shot, like, right. Um, I, I would imagine it, and the way I read it was that, that it, like, hugged the first baseline and went all the way into the outfield and just, Hung out in the corner there. You ever seen one of those good shots in baseball? And so Thielman, who was on first, wrapped around second, 
And he started round in third. O'Toole was behind him. And O'Toole looks, he starts round in third and realizes that Thielman, the pitcher, the guy who was on first, collapsed. And so what do you do, right? You're trying to win a game. And so O'Toole picks up his teammate, the pitcher, and like half drags him, half carries him, throws him on home plate, steps on home plate by the time they get the ball to home, and the umpire is looking at it, and he goes, safe, two to one, they win. And the crowd goes nuts, right? Thielman, the pitcher who originally got, the, uh, got a single, he was the winning pitcher, and the crowd's going crazy. He also died of a heart attack. Total heart failure while he was rounding third. Great celebration and great sorrow at the same time. Kind of like life. I remember when we bought our first house. Uh, 2010, uh, we were in Trophy Club, and I remember getting the phone call from the realtor. Mike, you got the house. What? I hung up, Hannah, let's go. What? We got the house. Got in the car, we drove, we lo loaded up our two little kids, and we didn't even have a key. We were so excited, it was our first house. And we stepped in the back gate, we stood on the back deck, and I remember we were just dancing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We forgot our diaper bag. <laughs> and so like, we get in the car, and we were just, our hearts were so full of their excitement, and our noses were so full of stench. Great celebration. Great sorrow. <laughs> oh, man, right? I've heard it said that life is kind of like Chinese food. It's sweet and sour at the same time. And that's where we're at with Israel. Chapter 14, we experience some sweetness. And then there's some sour times. It happens really close to one another. And through this chapter and through this message, you're going to meet a guy named Jonathan. We met him last chapter. And we're going to see his incredibly bold way of living. We're going to see his faith rise up and it's going to overshadow everything you're going to want to just remember this chapter in particular you're going to want to remember this bold faith amidst the sourness and i pray that it will greatly greatly impact your life the title of the message today is bold faith and uh, the sermon in a sentence or the emphasis of of the time uh, when colt and i were texting i some of you know this, I like to speak text, um, my, my text. And so um, what, what actually came out was the emoji of the sermon is, but that's not what I wanted to say, the emphasis of the sermon is this. Bold faith, this is the argument, this is the persuasion of the text. Bold faith looks to God and takes risks. Bold faith looks to God and takes risks. And let me tell you just what the author is doing. We um, saw last week 
Jonathan. We saw last week Saul. We saw that he uh, offered up a sacrifice in the wrong timing. He followed his own way, his own ideas. Samuel came in and said, kingdom's not yours anymore. It's going to a different guy. A guy who's? Come on. That's right. Who's what? Whose heart is completely after the Lord's. Whose heart is His. And so you're going to see Saul continue on the decline and this amazing story of Jonathan rise forth. And from now on, you're going to see Saul being used as a foil and Jonathan, his character and the way he pursues the Lord is just incredible. You're going to want to get to know Jonathan more. You're going to want to be like Jonathan. You're going to be so encouraged. So let me read the first five verses of chapter 14, and then we'll start talking about it. Here's the setting of our, of our chapter today. I'm reading from the ESV. This is the word of the Lord. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600, including, and here's a list of a bunch of Old Testament names, some of them of whom we will remember. Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Verse 4. Within the passes which, by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sanak. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. And so there we go. So first five verses were introduced. We've got the plan. Jonathan, he's, he's going to ask his armor bearer. They're going to secretly go to this garrison and the emphasis that we gather from the first five verses is that Jonathan is on the move. We also see the leadership of Israel. You've got your leaders. Even though Jonathan is on the move, Saul is doing what? He's sitting on his duck, right? And he's with other leaders. And did you recognize some of those names? If you've been here with us, you would recognize that we see Ichabod right there, Ichabod's brother. And you're like, oh yeah, that was that guy early in 1 Samuel. And it meant no glory, right? The glory has gone. And we see Saul associating with guys that have no glory. And it's almost like the narrator is saying, hey, Saul lost his kingdom. He rejected God. And he's sitting with other leaders that now have been rejected by God. There's that group over there. And then for some reason, you get in this setting, this, this depiction of the, 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 the geography of the place. And so Jonathan is looking on this, this hillside, and one side 
It's 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 the name of it is Bozes, and then on the other side it's Sena. Bozes means th- uh, means slippery. Sena means thorny. And so you're gathering. Okay, Jonathan's on the move. Saul is rejected and sitting down. And the the plan has impossible circumstances. He's wanting to go up on a crag and one side slippery and one side thorny. Let's see what the Lord does, shall we? Here we go. So join me. We're we're at the first point, and we're going to see that bold faith looks to God and not circumstances. Join me in verse 6. Here we go. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, this is the greatest part of the whole story, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. How about that plan, huh? I mean, is this guy, Jonathan, is he just optimistic by nature is that just his personality right i mean like some guys some guys are optimistic but they don't necessarily know any better they're just they're just optimistic is that this guy i don't think so right uh is he just a product of his environment he was just uh born positive and uh, looks at every situation as a positive situation? Is this a positive? No. What's going on here? This guy has faith. But even Jonathan's faith arises when there's no reason for optimism. Let's study this guy a little bit. How can he have this kind of faith? Right? How can he have a faith that looks to God instead of circumstances? Because this is what he could have, or maybe what I would have said. He would have said, hey, you know, we got a rough terrain. We've got little to no resources. Why wouldn't we even put ourselves in the Lord's disposal? Why Why would we do that to ourselves? But he doesn't say that. He says... It may be that the Lord will work for us. I.e., modern language, uh, God may be glad to do this, but how would we know unless we give ourselves wholly to Him? He could work through this, but how would we know unless we totally surrender and give our lives to Him? If you just look at it, at first glance, the wording, it might not sound like faith to you, right? It might not sound like the strongest faith. Like when he says, it may be, you almost want to correct him, don't you? You want to correct him and go, Jonathan, like say it with confidence. Like say, no, it, it will, it will go this way. Because that would be faith. If you speak with surety, that would be certain faith, right? And you're like, "Uh, I'm not so sure. Does faith have to be certain? 
Faith does not have absolute positivity in all cases. And that should encourage you. If it does, wouldn't that be ignorant? And wouldn't that be arrogant? When Jonathan says, it may be, it's actually expressing his faith. In this statement, he both confesses that God has the freedom to work or not. And he also expresses that God has absolute power to work. He's in God's hands. It may be. I think this is a really helpful phrase when you pray. And act upon what we know of God and his commands. Otherwise, if we pray with sure and utter confidence, we almost make God our errand boy. We can't have that. And God won't have that. So the test is this. If Jonathan calls up to the Philistines, and if they say anything like, come up here, that's, that's of the Lord. And Jonathan and his armor bearer are going to go up and take these, these Philistines. And so, um, so the, the story unfolds, which just quick pause. That, uh, that way of action and that way of decision-making is not a modern-day manual for how we should make decisions necessarily. Like, we shouldn't put God to the test in making decisions like, Hey, how about if we try this, and if it goes well according to our standards, then we'll know that that was the Lord's will. We do that, though, don't we? You see, Jonathan, he didn't have much. He had a sword, he had his buddy, and he had knowledge of who God was. Uh, but we, in 2022, have a lot more than that. We have the written word. We have the spirit of God. We can make decisions a lot better. Jesus warned us uh, to say, don't look for signs. Follow my words. Obey me. In the Great Commission, he said, "There, go, go therefore, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the purpose of, of even listening to a sermon, of coming to church, is have your heart transformed, not for information's sake, not so that you would just get smarter, but you are looking as a follower of Jesus to receive God's word, to look to obey him, to follow after him with your heart, with all your mind, soul, strength. That's how we make decisions in today's world. Look at verse 7 with me. This is like a great Sam Wise moment here. Before they charge up to the garrison, his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Isn't that a great line? I love that verse. Do you have a friend like that? You got someone who will follow you like that? So they call up, and all they need to hear is, hey, come up here. 
And so um, the threat that the Philistines give them is actually this. Come up here and we'll teach you a lesson, right? You've heard that before, maybe in grade school. But, but all they needed to hear is come up here. And so as soon as they heard those first few words, they started climbing up old slippery and old thorny. The story goes that they wiped out 20 men. But not just that. Afterwards, terror and absolute confusion rippled through the whole Philistine army. Everyone was confused and ran away. And let your eyes go down to verse 23 with me. The beginning of the chapter, Jonathan said, nothing can keep Yahweh from saving by many or by few. And he was right. Look at verse 23. It says, Yahweh saved Israel on that day. So friend, if you're looking to follow Jesus today, this is the truth that we gain from this text. You don't need superior numbers. You don't need the best weapons. You don't need buildings or budgets or slick programs, parents. You don't need the best book or the best strategy in order to get the outcome that you want. You don't need the best curriculum as you're looking to make disciples with your lives. You don't need the best personality, whether you're introverted or extroverted, gregarious, quiet, whatever. None of them determine the outcome. We saw right here, God does. God saves. God acts. He does the saving. Yet the truth of it is this, that he uses his children to advance his kingdom, to accomplish his will. And his children, that which place their faith in him, that trust him regardless of the circumstances, he loves to let his glory be known in and through them. The short of it, if you have bold faith, God loves to work through it. So you're supposed to read this text, hear this story, and be gripped by Jonathan's bold faith in God. And it's meant to push you outside of your comfort zone. It's meant to encourage you and stretch you to take risks spiritually. And if I, if I could just not leave that up there in the ambiguity-like realm and shape the application even more, I would say, let's, let's lean in, in, into this. Um, walking with God doesn't have to be so complicated. You don't have to know every doctrine of the faith in order to be used by God. We learned last week that all it takes is a willing heart, right? Much of the Christian life is just, it just boils down to this. If you could just read God's word, pray, and look to obey, he uses you. But I'll be even more specific, right? Um, if you look, if you want your heart to be inflamed in delight for God, if you want to be used by Him, if you want to see that the, the kingdom of God advance in your life, if you don't want your life to be a waste, right? But you want it to be useful, a tool in the Master's hand, one way to think about just walking with the Lord would be this. In the morning, wake up. 
read God's word and look to share it with someone. That's it. That would be a vibrant Christian life. A life of abundance unto the Lord. That like is a healthy makeup of marriages, right? You want a healthy marriage? Wives, wouldn't you love it if your husband read the Word of God in the morning and then went to the kitchen, grabbed a second cup of coffee and said, so, how was your quiet time, sweetheart? What would you read? What's the Lord teaching you? Hey, here's, here's what He did in my heart this morning. And, and I'm going to share it with someone. I'm just excited. I don't know. Who's, who's it going to be? I don't know. Maybe it'll open up some doors for me. But I'm excited to see how God will use this truth and He'll use it in my life to affect someone else's life. That's it. It starts inward, goes outward. It's not that complicated. Let's just lean into it even a little bit more. Because the example I chose was someone... It was like, it was your wife. Um, and it's, it's sometimes low-hanging fruit to say, so, so, so talk to her or talk to him, right? Um, it's also sometimes low-hanging fruit to say, so um, after church today at lunch, um, if you're eating out, this is, this is easy. We should always be doing this. If there's a waiter or waitress that comes your way, she, she puts food on your table. Um, this, is, this is just good um, verbiage to use as a Christian, right? Hey, um, hey, thanks for bringing us our food. Hey, we're about to pray. You got any prayer requests? I was, I was just thinking everyone needs prayer. Can we pray for anything? 100% of the time I've asked if people need prayer, 100%. They always say that they do, and they always tell me something that's on their heart. This past week, it was uh, this woman's dad was having heart surgery. That's pretty. That's a big deal. We prayed for her, right? It was a great. It was a great risk. It was like a little bit vulnerable. It was. It was putting myself out there a little bit, right? But that's that is a little bit low hanging fruit. Why? Because the risk for us isn't that great because it's a stranger, <laughs> right? And strangers, I mean, with the waiter or waitress, I would encourage us to like, yes, pray. Yes, remember, go back and ask them. That's called strategic dining. And so you like go back to that restaurant and say, hey, last week I prayed for you. How is so-and-so? How's he doing? What, hey, any... That's like waiting with an expectant heart because God answers prayer. Amen? And so you're like going, so did he answer the prayer? That's attractive. That's like a shining light. But to push us even further, sometimes the greatest risks happen with the people that are closest with us. With family that's coming in town over Thanksgiving, you're going there. With coworkers you sit next to every day, eight to five. The risk is a little bit greater. I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure why, but 
it just feels like it's greater because you might experience the reality of rejection on a greater basis. If a stranger says no, oh, I'll probably never see him again. But if your coworker says no, or if your brother-in-law pushes back, it creates perhaps a consternation where you, you step back and you say, I'm actually unwilling to, to create that consternation. But this text is here for us today. Why? Because it's going to help us, um, it's going to help us say things like, well, what if? It may be, it may be that if I take a bold risk, it may be that the Lord uses it in his life and I see change that will occur in his life from here on out. The Lord might just do this, but how could we know if we don't give ourselves to his disposal? That's what this text is supposed to do. How, how would we know? It may be. That's exciting. That's scary too, isn't it? That's why faith is walking by faith, not by sight. And it's challenging me. This text is so good for my heart. I'm so blessed to be able to be your pastor and to be able to study and to apply it to my own heart first and then share it with you. This text has been ripping me up. And so I'm, 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 I'm conveying the sweet part of this text and the challenge and, and the uh, abundant life and we're laying it before our church and we're saying, isn't that going to be awesome? Isn't it going to be great when, when God uses us and we put ourselves at his disposal? And we're supposed to say, yeah, yes, it will. And then you read the next narrative and you're like, oh, and it takes the wind out of your sails. And I think God's doing that because he's saying, this is life. It's Chinese food. It's sweet and it's sour and it happens at the same time. Christians, be prepared for it. Watch how bold faith, this is number two, bold faith looks to God and not others. This will be a quick point. Meet me in verse 24. Here's the sour part. Ready? And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. That day meaning when they won the battle. So Saul had laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. And I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Doesn't that just like take, take the wind right out of your gut? It's, it's kind of meant to. The reaction, and I'm not trying to be mean, but this is, this is the original audience's intended reaction. <sighs> what a fool Saul is. He's losing it. That, that's what it's supposed to be. Not name-calling, but are you kidding me? His army just won the battle, and he's cursing them. And the wind just gets knocked out of you. If I were Jonathan, I would be so angry at Saul. And he was. 
He was like, what? What is my dad doing? He's crazy. Like, I just took a lick of honey and look at my face. It so refreshed me. But you'll see throughout this narrative, throughout this book, that Jonathan is not rattled by his idiot dad. Because his faith is in God. He's, he's looking to the Lord and he, his pattern of his life is, is consistent. Why? He loves God and he continually chooses the anointed one. That's a little bit of a foretaste of what we're going to get in chapters 19 and 20 through 22, especially. He just, he loves the Lord and he keeps looking to him regardless of what his dad's doing. That's bold faith. Number three, bold faith looks to God, not yourself. Oh, ouch. Okay, let's, let's talk about this one. I want to raise the tension of this text. Um, that, you know, we're in chapter 14 uh, of this book, and we're starting to meet this new character. And so we're seeing the contrast of Saul against his son, Jonathan. I want to read to you um, how this chapter ends. And we're going to ask some difficult questions that are going to be really applicable to our life. Okay. Look at verse 47. I'm going to read all the way to 52. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side. Against Moab, against Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zoab, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now the sons of Saul, here's a bunch of family lists going on where Jonathan and da da da, da lists his daughters, lists more family, wives, things like that. 52, there was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached himself or him to himself. And you're like, well, Newman, that kind of wasn't the tone that we just read about. You just said Saul was a fool. And now the Bible is saying that he was a pretty good dude. And he fought a lot of fights and had a family and... Right? And this is the good part about um, our commitment as a church to preach the text of Scripture. Because when you're reading at home, you're like, what does that mean? And so hopefully when you come to church, you're, you're getting the meaning of text. And it's pushing you and it's causing your heart to look to the Lord and to understand Scripture. Because the Holy Spirit laid it out in this way. So what does this mean? Is the Bible lying here? A quick answer, I'd say no. Um, what, what is happening here is that um, this is recording Israel's history. And they're recording in general that Saul was a fighter and a family man. Which is a good thing. Uh, he, he did win a lot of battles. And he did have a family. Um, he had sons. He had daughters. And uh, I just want you to look at what I didn't read. Um, I didn't read anything having to do with his heart for God. 
Um, nowhere in it said, and, and Saul sought after the Lord with all his heart. Nowhere in it did it say, and he taught his sons and daughters the way of the Lord. Nowhere did it say, and he lived up to the king's expectation that he would read the law every day and rewrite it and record it so that it would be written on his heart. <laughs> that was the expectation of kings. And the, nope, he was, he was a good fighter, good family man. And that's how he will be remembered. Sure, he did some idiot things, he did some good things. That was his life. Um, fair question. Fair application from our time, right? You read this, and, and, and obviously you could say, hey, how do you want to be remembered, right? Uh, the way that you're living your life, what kind of legacy are you leaving for you, your children, your children's children, um, I think that's that's a fair question. Um, to me, uh, sometimes those questions actually uh, feed on my pride, um, and they encourage me to build my own kingdom instead of the Lord's kingdom. Right? What legacy will you leave? And immediately you go, what legacy will I leave? How will people remember me? And what 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 am I doing? And when and it and it. It, it can quickly turn on itself and have your eyes focused on my actions, my stuff, how I'm going to be remembered, and the motive of your heart has you on the throne of your life. And so I think the, the better question that requires explanation would be something like this. Why didn't God choose Jonathan to be king? Why didn't he do that? Like, look at Jonathan. I mean, for the last 20 minutes or so, we've been so encouraged and challenged and stretched by this man. He's everything that, that Israel should want. He's a warrior. He's, he's bold. He takes initiative. But he also loves God. And he's following, he has faith. Why? Why? Do you guys want to know the answer? Me too. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the quick answer would be, well, Saul sinned and God chose another man with a heart after him. But we're seeing that Jonathan does have a heart for God. Why did, why did God rip the dynasty from Saul and give it to someone outside of his biological family? And so that as we're like peeling back the layer of this question, what I'm really asking is, was Jonathan upset ever that he wasn't going to be king? Here's another way to ask it. Was Jonathan upset at his lot in life? Here's another way to ask it. Was he upset that he had to play second fiddle his whole life? These are normal questions for the human experience because we will find that we are never content in anything other than the Lord. Not our positions, at work, not our family, not, not anything. Nothing will fulfill us 
except the Lord himself. He alone is our portion and our strength. These questions, though, they reveal the condition of our hearts. One commentator said this, in our minds, self-fulfillment is a right. If we have ingenuity and if we have discipline, our efforts should be crowned with success. Should we be of a religious bent? We happily acknowledge that God assists us in our quest. Do you see, do you see the, the, the idea of turning in on ourselves? And that God is our errand boy assisting us for our self-fulfillment? But that's not Jonathan. It's not. Jonathan knows better. He understands that he's not serving Saul's kingdom. He's not serving his kingdom. He's serving Yahweh's kingdom. That's where he's at. And so his lot in life is God. He loves God. Whatever position he's placed in, he flourishes because he's content in the Lord alone. He doesn't try to make a name for himself. His life is not a waste because it's lived in fidelity towards the Lord. Circumstances come and go, they change. Families up and down. <laughs> Even his own heart, I'm sure, if he's anything like me or you, I'm sure his emotions are up and down. I'm sure if you, or I'm sure if Jonathan looked back on his week, he would see, say, Monday was awesome. That was sweet. Tuesday was pretty sour. Wednesday, pretty good. Thursday, sour. Friday was awesome. Good week. Which one should I choose? I've only got three minutes to tell you about an update. <laughs> Your position and path in life will never fulfill you. I love uh, the story in John 3. Uh, John the Baptist, one of my heroes. Um, when, when, he was, when he was living he had a life and a ministry and people were following him, and then... And there was this man who came on the scene and he saw him. And as soon as he saw him, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. My whole life, my whole ambition has been to prepare the way for you. And in John 3, there's this circumstance that happens where people are like coming to John the Baptist and then moving along and getting baptized by Jesus. And so everyone's seeing this like, wait, wait, we were, they want to know how John the Baptist is feeling. Is his life, is his contentment, is his portion in his disciples, in the number of, of is his contentment in how he hit the numbers of sales or like uh, what his students think of him or what he got on the last grade or how many points he got that game? So they're like, what, what are you thinking, John the Baptist? And his answer, John 3, look it, up, look it up this afternoon, starting 26. He goes like this. Everything is from heaven. 
So that would be your, your schooling and your your you know your job and your situation and your surgery. What everything is a gift from heaven. And I'm not the Christ. <laughs> what a great answer, huh? And then John 3.30 is, is like the greatest line ever. He goes, he must increase. I must what? Yeah, you've heard that before. That's his whole, that's his whole theme of his life. It's that he, he must increase. I must decrease. That's Jonathan. And that's, that's us. When we ask the Lord to change our hearts, and we look to him, not down here, not to the slippery, not to the thorny, not to the family. When we look to him, he emboldens our faith and he uses our faith as small and, and like petty as it is for great works. And so the question that we're going to ask in our community groups and we're going to ask right now is this. How is God leading you to live out your faith in a bold manner this week? That's it. Bold faith. The one bullet, not the buckshot. How are you going to live boldly by faith this week? And as you trust the Lord with all your heart, when you lean not on your own understanding... And in every decision, in all your ways, when you acknowledge him and look to him, guess what he'll do? He'll make your path straight. Let's pray. Colt, would you lead us in a song to close our time together? So, Father, I pray now that you would start a ripple effect in my heart, in the hearts of your congregation. Lord, that that it would stir us towards love and good deeds. And that we would look to you and ask, I want to be used boldly. Lord, how would you use me? What would you have me do? And I pray that, that our community, that our why would see its ripple effects as your people are living out their faith. Would you do this, Lord? Would you empower us by your spirit and move us in mighty ways? We're trusting you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing together. And if at any point you just need prayer in your life about this particular issue, especially, uh, we just ask you to pull someone aside. You tell someone. After the service, I'd encourage you, don't run off. Um, ask ask uh, someone for help in this area. Maybe the Lord moved in your life. He brought a name or a, per, a, a person to mind where I have been waiting to be pushed to live out a bold life. I'm going to tell someone and ask for prayer. Be bold in your asking. And let's see the Lord move in and through us. Let's sing together.